Well, we're going to have a conversation. We'd love for you to open in your Bibles to John chapter 15, if you have, or your Bible smartphone. If you are dying to have a Bible, we do have some in the room over there, the new coffee house, the former Sunday school room. I decided this week to bring up my father and to have a, see how this works. We haven't really plotted this. That's true. We have no plans. We haven't talked about what this is going to look like. And so this could be amazing or it could be a dumpster fire. Uh, <laughs> so we take bets in the room on, on what you think. Lorenzo, what are you thinking? Do you think it's going to be amazing? Um, I'm trying to get situated. Did you bring a Bible, Father? I did not. So you just thought you could show up for a sermon conversation without a Bible? I did, yes. Uh, yeah, probably. I, you yeah, know. probably. That answer would fail preaching class. Understood. It's not. I know the text. Oh. Thank you. That's a little egotistical. Thank you. Sounded egotistical. It does. It's not intended as such. It's just that I know this text. Let's all vote. Everyone watching online, did you interpret that as being egotistical? I think so. Um, John chapter 15. If Sean said it, it would be. <laughs> what did you just say? I don't even know. Would you stand, if you are in the house and can, for the reading of the gospel? John chapter 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the true vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God, from the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. So I, uh, I didn't put the slide up yet, but we will, uh, we will put it up later. Uh, I, I titled our, our co-sermon, uh, if we ever do this again, we'll just title this, uh, Matt's an Electric. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> why is that cute? Why don't you tell everyone uh, why that's cute? because my brother and my father I had a company called Matt's Electric, and I worked for them for 10 years. Yeah. How, does, how, would, you, <laughs> how would you say working for your brother and your father compares to working for your son? <laughs> Both are electric in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's, you thought that on your foot. Um, I want to, before we, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to you and say, why don't you give us a quick bit of context uh, to kind of just, why John 15, where have we been in John, um, what's happening, like a 60-second context. But before I do that, to those who are in the room and to those who are in uh, the, uh, on the internet world, uh, if you have some thoughts or some questions about this text, we'd love for you to uh, insert in this conversation. 
Uh, you can do so if you're in the room by like raising your hand and we can go to you and we could ask it or you can give your thoughts or if you'd just like to jump on the Facebook Live and you can type your, your thoughts in the comment section and I will try to keep up with them as much as I can and I don't know if anyone is keeping up with the comments online um, but if anyone sees Sarah, Pastor Sarah, if you see somebody commenting online and you think it's worthy of interruption, just give us a holler. So why don't, John 15, I'm the true vine, you're the branches, apart from me you can do nothing, remain in me, abide, all that good stuff. What is, give us the best 60 second context um, that kind of puts us on the same sure. playing field this morning. St. John begins in the cosmos, Jesus is the eternal cosmic Christ. However, he became flesh and he, he places God in our hands and we taste and touch and feel it. Jesus is the water of God, the new party, the new coming of the new earth in chapter 2. Jesus cannot, uh, Jesus is the, the way that we are born from above. Jesus is the way we enter into this story. Jesus is uh, in chapters 6 through 8. Jesus is the bread of life. He's also contentious. The church struggles with this idea that Jesus is God profoundly. We come up to chapter um, the betrayal. We come up to the evening of the betrayal and Jesus in that context says I'm about to leave you and now we are after the foot washing where Jesus has evidenced what this new kingdom reality is like. Now Jesus gets according to John, at least John gets very personal with us. Okay. So I, like Pastor Laura, in a friendly way, uh, critiqued a little bit um, my take on last week's Sunday, which was, I don't even remember my sermon last Sunday. It was I don't on either, the, but it was good. You say that. Uh, it was, it's not the true vine. That's this week. What was last week? It was chapter 10. Uh, I, it was another one of the I am statements. I am the good shepherd. Right. Thank you, Pastor Sarah. Um, and I, one of the things I said last week is that if you look at the context, Jesus is talking to kind of the church of his day. Mm. And, I, and so I, I made the point that I think we have over-sentimentalized that text. Agreed. And uh, instead of hearing the critique and the back and forth uh, that Jesus was having with the church and the pastors of his day, uh, I, I think this text actually is one of those more sentimental texts in the context of Jesus uh, talking with his closest friends that he shared three years of life with many of them. They've, they've camped out together. They've eaten together. They've partied together. They've drank wine together. They've seen miracles together. They've given sermons together. They've, I'm, they've fought together, probably. They've, they've argued about who's the greatest together. And in the midst of this journey, you develop a sort of affinity, I'm sure. And now in this upper room where it's all about to go down in 24 hours, uh, he gets really real and, and I would say very sentimental uh, is that fair? It's fair, and, and let's add one thing to that. Let's recognize that we're not only hearing the words of Jesus, we're hearing the reflections of John after 40, 50 years. And so he's pulling from memory an event that's probably post, actually, the upper room. They're on their way to the garden, so the teaching that's happening here is in process to the garden just before they go in. They're probably passing the temple when they do the vineyard thing because of the icon that would have been on the temple because Israel was considered the vineyard of God. And so, yeah, he's, he's putting inside the horror of the most horrible evening of ever, the cosmos dying, being resurrected. But that evening when everything fell apart, he's putting this intimate statement of God. So let's start with the word, the beginning, where he says, I, um, I am the true vine. I think it's really, and, and, and this is where maybe we, we do need to circle back to my, my critique last week, that we, we for many of us, we, we saw this in Sunday school as kids on flannel grass, I am the true vine, and, and, and this can become like, 
a good sermon illustration, but this is this image of the vine is is way bigger than like a sermon illustration. It's way yeah. bigger. He's pulling this metaphor which would have had deep symbolism. Like like for us, if I was to talk about a bald eagle, and I was to use a bald eagle uh, as as a sermon illustration, that would clearly for us uh, who live in America would have some deep meaning with that symbol. Why why does the vine have what, what's the symbolism there? Uh, it combines two ideas. Uh, one, that God intended that Israel would be the birthplace of God's relationship with the whole world. That they all they had to do was go out and bless the world and say, this God is incredible. And instead, they build all kinds of barriers and walls, just as we do, to the people who were hungry for God. And that was all given the metaphor of a vineyard. And so Israel was called the new party, the new place. Wine comes from the vineyard and the new, we're, the we're, new dance. We're Nazarenes. We don't. We, it's grape juice. Yeah. Well, then it would have been wine. And and it's the new. Lorenzo, you didn't even smile. You I think, wasn't trying to be funny. You it's think just my true. dad was funnier when he wasn't trying to be funny. Hey, you want to know my best statement about drinking? Yeah. I don't care what you drink if you can just be like Jesus when you're done. That's all I care about. Anyway, that would be a fun podcast. We should bring yes. the good Reverend Jerry Kester to be a part of that podcast. Yes, <laughs> I'd be happy to say it again, and he'd probably agree. In any event, this vineyard represents the party of God. The party is is represented in Israel as the wedding place, because like in like in a Samoan village or in a Native American village, when the wedding takes place, nothing else happens. Everything stops. Everybody comes to a multiple day party at which wine is very much a part of the event. And so the vineyard is the place where God is preparing for this eternal restoration, this new justice, this new world that's coming. And in the Old Testament in Isaiah, uh, the prophet says, I have been waiting and I'm going to cut the trees down because you haven't been faithful to your purpose. You build walls, your vines are dying, you're not giving life, and that's the background. So, to, uh, yeah, to restate what you said um, in simplisticer ways, simplisticer, <laughs> simplisticer. <laughs> Honey girl, you look like you're ready. You need a cup of coffee. So, to support... Honey girl, were you following what I was saying? Yeah, give, honey, all, give honey Girl a microphone. Let's, let's bring her up yeah, here and, she was and following let her yeah. restate what you were saying. But no, go ahead, uh, please. To, in simplistical ways, the vine was Israel. Yes. When, when, Jesus, when Jesus talks about a vine, their tradition thinks, that's us. Yes, that's our mission, more accurately. Yeah. Um, now, question, nerdy, nerdy question. In John, Jesus' first miracle is turning water into grape juice, mm -hmm. which clearly has vine implications. At a wedding. At a wedding. Yeah, that's where he starts. You think, you think there's some of that going on here? That's exactly what's happening yeah. here. He's picking up that theme. Ten points for nerdy theology. Okay, um, so what then are the implications? I am the true vine. Is he essentially saying, I am the true Israel? The church has interpreted it that way, and, and I think he is saying, I, not that I'm the true Israel, I am the very message, the very person, the very presence of God in the world. I am the party. I am the new dance. I am the communal Great wedding Jesus. space. Okay. Um, so let's so it's bigger than Israel. It's bigger, yes. But it, that, yes. it includes it Israel's mission. Israel. Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. It, 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 can you put in, so what is Israel's mission in a nutshell? To bless the world. To bless the whole world. To reveal to the world how good 
God is. And they failed miserably. So when he says, I am so the true we. vine, at the very least what he's saying, I am that reality which blesses everything. And everyone. And that's an important detail here. What, what, what Jesus is saying in all, go to verse 4, and you'll pick that up. In verse 4 it says, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Verse 4, it says, remain in me and I will remain in you. A branch can't produce fruit um, by itself but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The, the vine comes first. The remaining is on God's initiative first, not ours. That, by the way, that's what your father often understood and got right. Uh, we hear that, and we've preached that as conditional. We've preached that if you jump through all the hoops, if you read your Bible every day, if you go to church every Sunday, um, if you love your neighbor, if you do the things you're supposed to do, not, not hate and not jealous, etc., da-da-da-da-da-da, then I will. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying a statement of condition. He is saying a statement of reality. I am in you. Oh, my goodness. I just realized what time it is. Sorry for everyone in the house, but we... We got to wrap? So, no. I mean, well, yes, but I, there's, we have one part I need to get through. Okay. Um, so let's, let me quickly ask you one kind of section of questions, and then maybe we need to record a podcast later. Um, but I want to finish, because no good sermon is, unless you read from a commentary, I feel like there is some gold in a commentary. I want to read a section and then let you respond okay. and then wind this down. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll try to wind this down semi-close or soon, but we'll see. Um, I think there's some hard sayings here. There's some hard sayings, like, and you just read one, verse 4. Remain in me, um, as also I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So there's this sense that we are a part of the vine. We are deeply connected to the vine. But if we ever disconnect from the vine, we can we cannot produce fruit. That's a hard saying. And then there's, there's the sayings of uh, verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. I think we read those um, through some really bad evangelical Western theology, through some heaven and hell lenses. I don't think Jesus was intending. It's I don't think he is talking about judgment in the ways we think of it there, but more this is a truth statement that we are a people who are created to be connected to the source of life and our ability, our ability to live lives that bear fruit at some level is conditioned upon our connectedness to the source of life, the divine, God. Um, and, and if we disconnect from that source, we just, we won't bear fruit. And, and so help us with that, or at least help me uh, unless I'm wildly wrong, and in which case you can tell everyone. I, I don't think that's a heaven and hell so much judgment as just a, a true statement about what reality is. It's a heaven and hell statement, but not as usually understood. Yeah. I, I was Actually, that's where I was going. The point that Jesus is making is, I am life. Remain in my life, and you will live eternally, and you will have eternal life. There is a frightening possibility. If we choose, we elect to live as though God were not. In this life or the life that is to come. Uh-huh. The result of that is we create a hell for ourselves. And there's just no two ways about it. But it's not that God is sitting in judging us like some kind of awful judge or like Dante's Inferno from Greek mythology. Um, it is very much that God is saying, 
I am blessing the world. Live into that blessing and you can't do anything but have life. Live against it and you'll destroy yourself. Now, the message, the only people in the whole universe that ought to be concerned with that in terms of hell is the church. If you take Jesus seriously. That was the only people he was concerned with in terms of getting it wrong. The rest of the world, it was all mercy. Yeah. Quickly, um, and, then I'll, and then we'll wind down. Um, I, I've struggled as I was studying this text of what is fruit? Like trying to define fruit. What is the thing we're after? If we're, if we're supposed to live lives that bear fruit, what is that fruit? And again, this is my PTSD from uh, Western evangelicalism, that much of which I have appreciated and has formed me. So I'm not trying to run from that, but I also recognize that there's an underside to that. And so, so I, when I first read those words, bear fruit, I instantly think evangelism, conversion, and, and, and not that that's not a part of that, but, but this, this commentary describes fruit. To bear fruit, that is, is to do works of love. It's a good summary. Can I, I, I think it depends on if you're asking what Jesus meant or what John means. Yes. And, and not, it sounds radical to say there's a difference, but there is. There's intended to be a difference. You have the text, the event, Jesus' words, and then you have the way the church interpreted it. In this case, John, 40 years later. Jesus is saying, the fruit is the kingdom of God. The love of God poured out. The blessing of God to your neighbor and to your enemy. Who you struggle with needs to be blessed by you. To John, the fruit isn't discovered till the next section. It's being friends with God. Pastor Laura will tell us about that next week. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read from a commentary, and then I'm going to read from a blog from a layperson that are essentially saying, making the same point, and then I'd love for us to quickly respond, and then we'll give our closing sermon. You love this, don't you, honey girl? When you sent me a message this morning saying, is church live this morning? Are you regretting that message right now? <laughs> uh, this, this commentary says, first, the image of community emerges from John, this section in John, and it is one of interrelationship and mutuality and indwelling. To get the full sense of interrelationship, it is helpful to visualize what the branches of a vine actually look like. In a vine, branches are almost completely indistinguishable from one another. I don't know if you've noticed this, but this is your commentary that I stole. It what? is impossible to determine where one branch stops and another branch starts. All run together as they grow out of the central vine. What this vine image suggests about community, then, is that there is no freestanding individuals in community, but branches who encircle one another completely. The fruitfulness of each individual branch depends on its relationship to the vine. It goes on to say... The vine and the branches metaphor exhorts its community to steadfastness in its relationship to Jesus, a steadfastness that is measured by the community's fruit, not so much the individual's fruit. I had that. To bear fruit, that is, to act in love, is a decidedly corporate embrace of that love as the central commandment of the community's life. It goes on to say, to live according to this model, then, the church would be a community in which its members are known for their acts of love that they do in common with all other members. It would not be a community built around individual accomplishments, choices, or rights, but around the corporate accountability to the abiding presence of Jesus and corporate enactment of the love of God in Jesus. Any response to that before I read the blog? No, that's powerful, though. Now, a layperson says that much less uh, academically, and she says... Uh, this way, and then we'll close with our last comments. And this is from uh, Debbie Thomas. Uh, 
If we align ourselves with a larger Christian community, we generally do so with a consumer mindset, trusting that we are free to join up and free to quit as a personal preference dictates. We are, in other words, proud lone rangers. We believe in pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and encouraging others to do the same. We struggle not to view dependence as moral weakness. Later on, she says, if this is Jesus' metaphor for the, the spiritual life, then I think Lutheran pastor Nadia Boltz-Weber says it best. Christianity is a lousy religion for the I'll do it myself set. We are meant to be tangled up. We are meant to live lives of profound interdependence growing into and around and out of each other. In this metaphor, dependence is not a matter of personal morality or preference. It's a matter of life and death. Branches that refuse to cling to the vine ultimately die. Last paragraph. Uh, the problem, of course, is that we don't like this. We don't want to believe it because it's inconvenient and offensive. It implies that my life is not my own, that my choices affect people I don't even know, that I, I'm bound to the community of God's people, whether such boundness suits my temperament or not. Worse, it requires me to hold two seemingly contradictory truths in perpetual tension. One that the point of my Christian life isn't me, my growth, my contributions, my achievements. I am in, in, inextricably connected to the larger whole, and apart from that whole, my spirituality, profound and precious though it might feel, is without value. Apart from the vine, I am not only barren, but I'm dead. In other words, I'm not the fruit in this metaphor. I'm not supposed to be the end product of my own spiritual life. In a podcast, I'd go so many directions with that. We could talk about racial issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here, let's focus it down to this. Teddy um, has been trimming around here for a long time, and he's taught me a few lessons about this text. Most important of this, the first time he, we used to have a fruit tree in the backyard, remember it? Apple tree? Yeah, and oh, he took that pies. from being huge and wonderful and producing all kinds of apples down to nothing one year. And I freaked out and thought, and so wisely did not reveal that to Teddy. But, but you're I, choosing to do that now. I asked him, now I am, yes. I asked him why. Sorry, and he, Teddy. And he said very simply, there are vines here, the ones that look the best, that produce the best apples, and all the sap is going to go there. And you see there are other vines that were producing nothing because the sap was going to the strong. So, so what I've done is I've taken it all back so that the sap goes throughout the whole tree. I've trimmed everything. So here's the issue. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the vine. It's about the life of the tree. It's about the fruit that God wants to bear through and with us. He may have to, he may have to really trim us back if we're taking so much sap. And it's not about proving that we're Christians. It's about delighting in this generous God and giving that God away. That's the only thing God asks us to do. Nothing more, nothing less. We're going to end with, uh, and I don't know how often we'll do the Matson Electric sermons, um, but we, and we, we said at least once a month we'd like to do at least a conversation with, and we'll get Pastor Sarah and Pastor Laura up here. Um, but I, I thought we would end, given this is a Matson Electric sermon, and Mark, you're going to have to get ready to hit the next slide. But I thought we would, in just one second, I thought we would end with uh, a Matson Electric evangelical moment. No, go next slide, next slide.
honey girl. Why are you, honey girl? Why did you just bow your heads like you're embarrassed of me? Wait, if, wait, wait, wait. No, why is, are if you I were, If I were Hillary Clinton, I would roll my eyes. Okay, whatever. I, <laughs> I was very proud of that. Should I never do that again, honey girl? Or do you approve? Well, we'll talk later. Um, we each have 60 seconds. And the point to wrap this up is to make a good evangelical point, not just to be nerdy. Um, do you want to go first or last? Last, but can I then just take it into communion? What's that? Can I just take it into communion? Absolutely. At that point? So then I was my uh, Matson Electric evangelical nerdy moment uh, for us is, is this. We live um, in a society that likes to say, uh, well, we say in some of our founding documents, pursue ha- this pursuit of happiness. Um, some of, of, of our, our, our best sayings that we like to say to one another are, go live your best life, or go live your truth. And I think the invitation for people within this text and within the gospel of this Jesus we're called to follow is the call is not to live your best life, or my best life. The call is for us to live our most abundant life, which is a different call than best. Mm -hmm. And that only, that abundance and the invitation to abundance is only as we connect ourselves to the vine. One of the neat things in this text is that... um, this is just outside the garden, I think. And I, in my own imagination, see Jesus as, uh, chapter 17 is Jesus' prayer for the church, for you and me and for the 12. And I think at that point, he was literally, just before they entered the garden, going around and placing his hands on each of the 12 and praying for them and reminding them what life is and why he is. And he basically says this, to know you the Father, to know me the Son, is the whole purpose of everything. There's no other reason to be. So trim them, Lord. Trim them down. They're already in me because they have my words. They, they have a glimpse of you that is fresh and alive. Those words are cleansing, renewing. So by your spirit, give them the ability to give their life away because I'm just about to give my life away. And that brings us to what he did a few hours before at the table where he takes an incredibly ancient tradition in Israel, the coming out of the slavery from Egypt, the very, very deep personal sense of whatever owns us, and he, he celebrates the bread. If you would take the bread, and at home, if, if you uh, have, can take uh, whatever is at hand for bread and for uh, juice or wine. And, and if you're in the room, there is some back on the sound. We booth. will offer a word of prayer over that, and let's do that now. Father, as, as these here are preparing and as those at home are preparing, I pray that you would take these common elements and, and make them uncommon. Make them you. Uh, as we receive the bread, as we receive the juice or the wine in true faith, allow us to receive you anew. And if our need is forgiveness, forgive. If our need is to give us the ability to be a blessing where we've actually been a wall, give us that trimming grace. Sanctify us. Make us different, more like you. Whatever our need is, if our need is mourning and depression, then be to us the very life 
that is and help us to somehow allow you to be what we cannot be. And we will give you praise. So on that night, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is now my body broken for you. Take and eat. And then he took the fourth cup of the evening meal. And he said, Blessed art thou, O Lord, King of the universe, who gives us the fruit of the vine. And then he did an extraordinary thing. This cup, which represents the covering of God for our people coming out of slavery, has now become the covering of God for the whole world. God is reconciled. As you take this, receive forgiveness. Receive healing of spirit and body and mind. Take all of you and drink all of it. For your gift, Lord, we will never have words, but we receive. And what we receive, grant us the ability to give away. In Jesus' name.